or not been here the last few weeks, um, I've been doing a little series on the church. And, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about, or in, in <laughs> pastors spent a lot of time preaching about, you know, being a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to, to be a disciple of Christ. And, and I have intentionally focused in this particular series and, and a lot of the teaching I do on not just what it means to be a Christian, but what it means to be a part of the church. Because it's just so important to me personally. As, as I, I've been in the church now for, I don't know, 40-some years or so, uh, and as I've grown you know, and walked out my faith, it's just been so, so very important to me to recognize that I'm not doing that on my own. I'm not, I'm not just in this thing uh, solo by myself. I really, really, really am connected to a, to a larger group of people, and that's, that's so meaningful and so important for me personally as well as I, I believe for you. And that's why I've taken this uh, last month or so to talk about the church. We started by talking about the body of Christ and how the illustration Paul uses of the body is, is so profound and so powerful because it's so real. We really, really are connected to one another just like the parts of your body are connected to one another. You, you couldn't really come to church tonight and say, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to leave my arm at home. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's been giving me problems today. I'm going to leave it at home. You, you don't have that option. You can't do that. It goes with you, and, and you can't disavow your arm. You can't disconnect your arm. You can't it's just there. It's a part of who you are. And spiritually, we really are connected in much that same way. So that metaphor of the body is, is so powerful in how we're connected, how every part has a role to play. Every part is important. No matter what your role is, it's important, and, and, and it's valued, and it's needed, and, and we're thankful for it. We're thankful that you're here. So we started with that. We talked the second week about some of the relational dynamics that take place within the body a little bit, and how Sometimes those can be challenging. They can be straining and difficult. Uh, we talked about ways to, to better relate to one another and some hindrances, things that can get in the way of that relationship, uh, you know, that relational dynamic, and, then, and how we might be able to, to um, overcome those differences. And then last week, I talked uh, specifically about forgiveness. And, and I talked about forgiveness really, you know, I mean... In the, in the general, broader sense of forgiveness towards people, towards one another, but I, I really was, you know, focusing it on forgiveness within the body of Christ. What it means for us to, to treat one another with forgiveness and, and how a, a lack of that can be uh, so devastating within the body. And, and how... We are, we're, in, we're encouraged, we're, we're directed in Scripture to forgive as Christ forgave us. And, you know, we said Christ forgave us in a unilateral, unconditional releasing of debt. We've sinned. We've all sinned. Christ said, you're forgiven, period. We don't have to do anything to earn that. We don't even have to ask for it. There's, there's some other stuff involved, and you can listen to that message online if you want, but but ultimately, he, he's forgiven us, and, and we're, we're, we're told to forgive one another in that same way. And when we, when we don't do that, especially within the body, it, it has an ill effect not only on, on the, you, yourself, the person, but on the whole body. 
if, if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards Wayne, and I just, I'm not going to forgive Wayne because Wayne's really hurt my feelings bad. Well, that not only affects me and Wayne, but that affects everybody here. And, and here's the thing. You might not even know that I have that. You probably do because typically when we have unforgiveness, we tend to spew it, don't we? We just, everywhere we go, we just sort of spew it up. So you probably do know. But in the event that you haven't been ta- paying attention and you don't know that, I want you to know that it still has an effect on you on that spiritual level, the way that we're connected. We all suffer when those things are, are left sort of undealt with in the body of Christ. So that was last week, and again, I think you can listen to that one on iTunes too, on, on a podcast. So just encourage you guys. Um, if you, if you weren't here and you missed any of those, to, to listen. But just my, my, my heart, my focus during this series is that as, a, as one representative portion of the body of Christ, that we would be all we could be, that we would be what God's called us to be, and that we wouldn't let things that we have control over stand in the way of that. So tonight I want to continue in this series. And the title tonight is The Contender. And uh, you, uh, you'll understand that in a minute. Uh, that's, that's actually, you can't see it very good, it's a little dark, but some of you, probably nobody ever saw it. A few years ago, there was a reality TV show on called The Contender. And instead of a dancing or singing or talent kind of competition, it was, a, it was this, this thing drives me crazy. It was boxing, it was boxing. I think Sylvester Stallone was the producer and Sugar Ray Leonard was the host, so it was it was all about boxing, it was, you know. And and uh, again, I'll, I'll, was, as we read the text and get into the message, you'll understand it a little better. But what I want you to kind of do with me tonight, if you if you would, is this: just sort of picture yourself as the contender. Put yourself in that guy's shoes. You're all oiled up. Your biceps are are rippling. Uh, you have the gloves on. You're ready to go into the ring. Probably look like that, you know. That is, that's how I look. I don't, well, when I've been tanning. Just think of yourself in that role a little bit with me tonight. And, and we'll start with, we'll do this. Let's read the text together. That way I can get that off the screen. And, and then uh, we'll pray, okay? This is from Colossians. I'm just going to do it. It's a few verses tonight, short little passage. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Apostle Paul is writing. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word tonight? Would you cause us to uh, be encouraged in heart, united in love, that we too might understand and know all the depths and the riches and the fullness of who you are, what you are, what you have, how you work in our lives, and, and your purposes for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. A few of you were around, maybe, or remember that far back, just a year and a half or so ago, uh, I did a series uh, in the book of Colossians. We went through Colossians cover to cover, 
and we spent uh, quite a bit of time on it. I don't remember how many weeks it was, but we looked at it in, in considerable detail, considerable depth. Um, but a couple of sort of contextual notes that you might remember from that series are one that, that Paul is, is writing this particular letter from jail. He's in jail. Uh, he's t technically, there, there were other times when he was imprisoned in sort of a really, really bad situation. At this particular time, he was sort of under what, like, what we would call house arrest. He was kind of uh, in, a, in an apartment, uh, rented apartment in Rome, uh, but he couldn't leave there. He was under Roman guard. They, they, they were there. He, he wasn't chained to the wall or any of that stuff, but he was under Roman guard, couldn't leave. He was, he was being secured there and kept there, and he served probably a, a two-year or two-year-plus uh, sentence there in Rome. He is writing this particular letter to the, the church at Colossae uh, to a group of people that he doesn't know personally. It's not, there, there were a number of churches that Paul was instrumental in helping to start. This was not one of those. He didn't start this church. He had never been there, never met these people. Uh, in the introduction to his letter, uh, he, he has, he, because he's under house arrest and, and has the freedom to have visitors and write letters uh, and receive reports. He, he has messengers, different people that are kind of in his network of relationships, uh, disciples, people that he works with, uh, communicates and relates with, who would take writings, take letters that he would write to the different churches, distribute those, and they would bring reports back to him about what was going on. So through that process, it says in the introduction to the letter that he had heard about, he prayed for them regularly because he had heard about their faith and their love. And I, I want to sidestep here for just a second, kind of off topic, but I think it, it was just something I thought of as I was uh, looking over this this week that I wanted to bring to you, and, and that's this. Paul never met them. He, he heard about their faith and love. And sometimes I think we feel like some of what we do in the kingdom goes unnoticed. And we might, I've felt this way, maybe you never have might feel like, what's, what's the point anyway? Why, why bother? And, and, and here's what I want to say to you, and I, I hope this is encouraging to you, that, that the, the things of the kingdom and the work of the kingdom goes beyond what you know. It has impact beyond what you know. And, and, and maybe in ways that you'll never know, the things that you do. Think of it this way. Sometimes, have you ever had this situation happen? Somebody, you're talking to somebody, your neighbor, having coffee, whatever, I don't know. Somebody tells you a story about something they heard, something that happened somewhere, something that somebody did for them that was really great, or, or whatever, anything. And it encourages your faith. You go, wow, that's pretty cool. And maybe it challenges your faith a little bit. Maybe you start thinking, wow, that... That person that did that thing, uh, that, was, that was awesome. Or maybe you read a book or see a movie. I'm reading a book right now about a, a gal who met the Lord late in life. She was really out there spiritually and just got converted in a moment's notice and, and started uh, a, a whole network of nationwide food banks feeding people. And it, it, it challenges me. It, it, just, it, it just ignites me inside to, to be more active in that than I, I already am. So, so sometimes that happens. And let me say this. In the same way that those things might come to encourage you, I want you to know there's, there's 
there might be people out there telling stories about things that you've done. Maybe somebody somewhere is having coffee talking about what you did in their lives. And, and somebody else gets encouraged and, and, and gets sparked to, to start doing something for the kingdom in their neighborhood because of what you did, and you don't even know about it. You never know. So just, I just thought in the way that Paul didn't know these guys and he had heard of their faith and love, that what you do and, and, and the, the works of the kingdom have impact and, and have, have value beyond what you know. And just be encouraged by that and, and be encouraged to continue to do those things and press in, even if it seems like it just doesn't do anything in any way. So, so there's that. So Paul is, is writing this letter to people he doesn't know. And he's writing from jail. So again, it's not the worst possible situation, but it's not the best situation either, right? Jail. Jail's jail. It's not good. And he wants them to know, he tells them that he's contending for them. And it really is, I, I, I love, this is the TNIV, and I, I love the choice of that word. Different translations have a different word there, but to me it's just such a fitting and powerful word for this verse. He's contending for them. And, and, and it's a word that in our language, in contemporary usage, really, primarily, it's, it's used in the realm of boxing. That's really one of the only contexts you ever hear that word. You don't hear people say they're contending for something very often outside of that. Even in other athletic endeavors, you don't hear it very often. Uh, and, and this is the reason. It's, it's, it, really, it, it really does have to do with fighting. When you're contending for something, when you're a contender, you're really doing battle. You're doing battle. It's, it's not a passive word. It's not even a, an assertive word. It's an aggressive word. It, 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 really, it really notes a fight, a struggle, a battle going on. Literally, it means this, to move forward against opposition. So it's, it's not like, you know, advancing the kingdom just just advancing. No, it's advancing against opposition. There's something coming against you as you move forward. And that's what Paul says he's doing. He's contending for them. He's doing battle. He's fighting on behalf of his brothers and sisters. And here's why. Why, why, why is he contending? Why is he fighting? Why is that so important? Why, why did I take three minutes to talk about it? Because Paul is aware that there's a battle going on. Paul is aware that Spiritual warfare is real. Paul is aware that being the church, being the body of Christ, isn't a vacation. It's not a holiday. It's not something you do just for fun. It's not a social club. It's not a self-improvement program. It's not anything like that at all. It, it really, really, really is a struggle. It really is a battle. It, it, there really is opposition. God really does have a purpose for his people in the world, you know, in creation today, and there really is opposition to that. And Paul says, I'm contending for you. I'm, I'm fighting for you. He says that because he knows that as he's writing, as is true today, that that battle has not yet been won. That that battle continues. It, it, it goes on. It's, it's been going on. 
throughout the history of, of the world, of God's people. In the beginning, uh, you guys know this, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And, and God called the light to shine in the darkness. And that's what God's still doing today. He's never stopped calling the light to shine in the darkness. And there's still darkness. There's still darkness in the world around us. There's still pain and suffering in the world around us. There's still oppression. There's still, there's still people hungry in the world around us. There's still disease and poverty. And there's still darkness. And God still calls light to shine in the darkness. And he calls us to be that light. He calls his people, his church, to be that light, to shine in the darkness, to contend, to fight, to push back, to move that darkness, to allow his light uh, to come into the lives of people around us. And when we do the things of the kingdom, when we engage in, in kingdom activity, that light really does spread. That light goes forward. That's what happens. It's like that picture. It's just the darkness kind of separates and dissipates and, and gets pushed out and, and light comes in. There will be a time, there's a day coming somewhere out there when the light will overcome the darkness. And there won't be any darkness anymore. But, but until that day, we have to contend. And we have to fight. And we, ha we, we have to allow ourselves to be used by God to be his means for pushing back that darkness and being his light in the people, in, in, in people's lives around us. Paul had, Paul had done this all throughout his life, his Christian life, at least. Uh, he, he had contended, and if you look at, you can read, you know, his, the, the opposition that Paul faced is well documented, right? I think there's that passage in 2 Corinthians that where, you know, it just talks about all the stuff, like how many times I got beat and stoned and flogged and put in jail and shipwrecked and lie, people lied to you, my friends left and you know all, all that stuff goes on and on and on there's danger and danger and so much opposition so Paul had always contended for the faith and now he's in prison and from or jail what, but, but from jail he's still contending for his brothers and sisters and here's what you know what I got out of this I, I, and Paul was no longer able to do what he had once done. Throughout much of his life, his Christian life, his ministry had involved traveling and personal ministry. He went from place to place, church to church, and he met with people, and he prayed with people, and he laid hands on them, and he spoke into their lives, and he, he, you know, he was there and active and real. And now he's restrained. He can't do that any longer. He, he can't continue to minister in the way that he always has. And sometimes I think we find ourselves in a similar situation. Maybe we're not in jail, but we aren't able to continue to do for whatever reason. And there could be a million reasons, the things that we have done in the past. So we go, oh, well, I guess we're done. It's over. Pr probably, you know, speaking for myself, if I ended up in jail, I might go, well, you know, gosh, I, I gave it a good shot, but I guess this is it. Well, Paul's in jail. He can't do what he's done before, but that, he, that doesn't stop what he, he keeps contending. He keeps fighting. He does it differently now. Now he prays. He contends in prayer. 
And he contends through writing. He writes. I can write letters. I can send encouraging words to the people. That's what I'll do. So Paul, Paul is not just surviving. He's contending. And sometimes as Christians, we kind of find ourselves, and maybe you know, you've been there, you, you just sort of, I've heard this. I've heard people say, well, God, you know, just, just hang on till Jesus returns, you know, and, and that's sort of it. Just going to hang on till Jesus comes back. And it's like, no, contend. We're, there's more than that. There's something that we're about, something that we need to do. Pa- Paul, and here's, he's not just hoping for a better future. He's contending for a better future. And don't hear me wrong. Hope's good. We want to have hope, all right? We, we need to hope, but sometimes hope sounds like that, too. I, you know, I, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard this. Gosh, it's just, you know, everything is so bad. I hope it gets better. And it's like, really? That's all you got? Paul hopes for a better future, but he, he hopes for a better future as he contends for that, as he battles and fights for that, not just resolves that maybe if Jesus comes back before I die, something good will happen. And, and, and I just think, man, he, he's contending and he's not willing to settle for status quo. He says, no, I'm going to press in and I'm going to push on and I'm going to do everything I can do to, to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ and contend for God's purposes in the world. So for us, a couple things, a couple maybe applications of this. One is this. There is opposition to the kingdom of God. And any time, anywhere, anyhow, anybody endeavors to advance the kingdom, it will be opposed. There will be opposition. There's no way around that. Things do not always go as planned. My experience after, you know, many years in ministry is things hardly ever go as planned. Um, it's always a surprise to me when they do. Hey, that worked. Uh, because usually they don't. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't go as planned. You plan and then, it, oh, that happened. Uh, it just doesn't, it, things don't go as expected. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Sometimes it's hard to stay focused and stay committed and stay connected and say, I'm going to do this anyway, no matter how hard it gets. Sometimes it's really hard to do that. Sometimes life just sucks and you go, there's got to be a better way. Uh, but in the midst of that, if anybody identifies with that on any level, we continue and we press in and we press on and we contend and we do the things that God's called us to do and we don't stop doing those things because it's hard or because there's opposition, because we understand that there's always opposition, there always has been and there always will be. Second thing is this. I just think it's super important that we recognize this whole reality together. That, that we really do contend for one another. That we encourage one another. That we lift up one another and, and, and not tear down one another. You know, that, that we, we really are on the same team. Or continue the metaphor we've been using this whole past month, we're part of the same body. We're connected to one another. And, 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 and we really, we, we should be continually, continually contending for one another together. And, and, and here's, Paul has a goal in mind. As he contends for the Colossian church, he says, my goal 
says, but they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. To be encouraged in heart, why would he say that? Well, again, because he understands that fighting this battle can be discouraging at times. It can be very discouraging. He says, I, I'm contending for them. I'm praying. I'm writing. I'm doing what I can do in the hope that that discouragement will fall off and they'll be encouraged in heart. And I, I cannot tell you how much it means for us as a body to encourage one another and to exercise the gift of encouragement. When, uh, when my little grandson comes over, he's two now. He's very active. He likes to walk around. He does things. does little tricks. And whether just Donna and I are home or if, if uh, his parents are there, whatever, whoever's there, we say to him all the time, good job. Good job, buddy. Good job. Almost everything he does, does some silly little thing, good job. And give me five, high five, give me knuckles. Because it's just encouraging, and he's very encouraged by that. And we do that with little kids, don't we? We do that. We, we're mindful, we're intentional in encouraging them because we want them to know they're doing a good job. And then somehow we grow up and we forget that we need that same encouragement. We really do. We're all two-year-olds. We need that same level of encouragement that, that those kids need. And I tell you, it means the world just to do that with one another, just to say, hey, good job, way to go. It, it just, it, it really, I just, I encourage you to encourage one another. Um, just send a text, give a note, whatever, give a call. Just say, hey, thanks so much for that, whatever. That meant a lot. Good job, way to go. It, it just, it means the world, you know. Maybe no words at all. Just, just you know, encourage each other. It, it's, it has such value and such weight and such import, and it's transformational in a group of people. It really, it really is. His, his second part of his goal is that they be united in love. And again here, I, I think we just realized how easily in the midst of battle, unity can, can be disrupted. Unity can be disrupted. And, and how, how subtly, really, the enemy can do all sorts of things to to take the focus off of the work of the kingdom and put it on nitpicking against each other. Here, here's what I think. Don't be mad at me. Sometimes I hear stuff like, well, somebody goes, oh, it's going to work today. I got a flat tire. And so I, I had to call AAA. It took an hour to get there. And I was late for work. And my boss was really mad at me. It's just the devil. It's just warfare. The enemy is after me. And I want to say, you know, I just, I think what happened is this. Probably you ran over a nail. I, I just think, I don't, I don't know if the enemy's all that focused on you being late for work. It's just, it's, does that make sense? Sometimes I, I think, Enemies focused on things like really tearing down the body of Christ. Forget the nail in the tire and being late. If, if he can cause us to take our focus off of the work of God's kingdom and put it on picking at each other, he really wins a battle there. That's huge. That's huge. I, I, I really, 
I, I think in the history of the church, if you look back over the history of the church, there, there's maybe nothing that has disrupted the purpose of God more than disunity among his people. And, and that's so tragic to me to think of. It's, there's, there's so much damage done. If you look back, we all know it. There's so much damage done by disunity in, in the body of Christ. And it's so far-reaching because when there's disunity in the body, not only does it disrupt the purpose of God, God's purposes don't go forward, and his people are upset with each other, but it, it also discredits him. It discredits him. You know, the church is so busy fighting and fighting and fighting all the time, and then they say, hey, come and join us. And, and, and people go, why would I want to join that? That's a mess. You know? It, it, conversely, I really believe when the, the, the people of God are united in love, not only does that release in a really powerful way God's kingdom going forward, but it brings glory to God in, in, a, in a really unique way. Just that unity alone brings glory to God in a, in a really, really unique way that's so, so powerful and has such a tremendous witness in the world. So I just encourage you guys in that. One, one more little note. I took longer than I wanted. Uh, I, I really believe contending together is something that in and of itself can bring about unity. That when the people of God do kingdom-building activities together, that it fosters unity. Here, here's the thing. There's part of that's natural, right? There's a natural component to that where you see it in sports teams, clubs, whatever. You do something together, rah, we feel good, we're a team. We, we, you know. But it's deeper than that. There's a spiritual level at which when we, when we work together in the kingdom of God, it brings about a unity on a level that I, I don't really have words to describe, but I know that when I see it and I feel it and I know other people feel it and see it as well. So here's my point in that simply is that a lot of us do things on our own that are good things in the kingdom. And I encourage that. I encourage you to continue. Ministries in your neighborhood, work, whatever, all that stuff, it's, it's really good. But sometimes it's good to commit to doing something together. To say, hey, we're going to do this together because we always invite everybody to come on Thanksgiving. Come and help us on Thanksgiving. Because there's something happens in that that's powerful that you can't, I don't even know how to describe it. There's just a unity that takes place there. Here's the end game. He contends for them with the goal of, of encouragement and, and unity so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I interpret that this way, that in, in disunity, when we're not encouraged in, in one another, that we can't know fully the depth of who Jesus is and, and how he works in our midst, that we're missing out. We're being shortchanged. We're allowing whatever it is, that, that disunity, to prevent us 
from really grasping and seeing and, and embracing and walking in and, and basking in the fullness of wisdom and understanding of who Jesus really is and, and what he has for us. So uh, here, I'm gonna, I'll close with this. And if you guys want to come up, Cindy, if you guys want to come on up, you can come up now. I'm just going to leave you with a little quote from Mother Teresa. I like, I like Mother Teresa a lot. Quote kind of fits the message. It's kind of just a cool quote. But she says, I have found this paradox, that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. You like that? Is that not good? I like that. All right. These guys are going to leave us, lead us in a little bit of worship and for five minutes, and then we're going to just minister and pray. So I've got your stand.